All right, good morning. Glad you're here. So um, Ben already gave away some of my intro here. What's the mission of the church, right? And if you look over, if you ever wonder, because it would be great if you could all say it, but it's right there on the wall, connecting people to the abundant life, only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus. So that's why the church exists. We don't exist just to be a club, right? We don't exist so that we could like each other um, or we could make money or, or give me a job, right? That's not why we exist. We actually have a mission and it is to connect people to the abundant life, which includes two different things in general. One is evangelism, meaning we are sharing the truth of Jesus with those who don't know him yet, right? So we're sharing it, inviting them into this context, into a relationship with him. But it doesn't end there. A lot of times, you know, we can get stuck on just that part. It's connecting people not just to salvation, but the abundant life. So that's the next part. You know, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of that is in the song we were just singing. So that's his invitation. That's the abundant life of, of peace, of joy despite circumstances. And, and by the way, if, if you've realized once you're saved, a lot of that isn't just automatic. There's, there's some growth. There's some growth in our heart. There's some learning God's word. And, the, and so that's part of our mission also, meaning you are the mission. Like the person sitting next to you is the mission because we are all on the grow. Nobody's arrived. If you haven't realized that, true faith isn't a destination. It will be someday. When Christ returns and sets up the new kingdom, that's the destination. We'll get new bodies. Sin will be removed. It's going to be sweet. Until then, we're all in process, right? So we're all on the same path. Maybe we're at different points in the path. Maybe it feels like we stumble backwards on the path, but we're all on this. And so part of our mission is together continuing down this path. And so that's what we talk about when we're talking about our mission. It's out there, but it's also in here. And so here's my question. What is the best way to hinder that mission? If you were the enemy, and by the way, we have one, his name is the devil, and you're like, hmm, how can I prevent this? I hate God, and I hate God's people. How can I stop this from happening? I think there's the top two. One in the top two would be apathy, right? Eh, well, apathy and comfort. They go together, and we Americans are, are pretty comfortable, and we can be apathetic, meaning I'm religious, I'm spiritual, right? Or, or my faith is personal, you know? Everybody has a personal faith, and my relationship with God is just personal. Um, and so the enemy can convince us of that. Just keep it to yourself, right? And so we're, we're apathetic. I think that's the top two. Also in the top two, I would say, is disunity. One of the ways the enemy will prevent this mission is to get among believers and create bickering. Can that ever happen? right? Create problems within our own families, but also within the, the church family. And I would even go a little broader sometimes between churches, right? Create some conflict between churches so that the community, the other in the world say, I don't want what they have, right? When we have disunity, we really don't have much to offer the world. You know, as we're going through Philippians, you can grab your Bible and turn to Philippians. And if you don't know where it is, that's okay. It's right about there, right? Um, Look in your table of contents in the beginning. That's okay. But as we're looking at this, our, our title for the series is The Church, A Place to Belong and to Make a Difference. Now, we want to make a difference, 
which is sharing the, our faith with those outside, bringing them in. We want to make a difference here, right? We want our kids to grow. We want our kids to see godly parents. Uh, we want addictions to break down, right? Some of us here have addictions, and we want, God wants to deal with that. So we want to make a difference. But if we're not a good place to belong, we can't make a difference, right? If the church is, is a place where people are at each other, it can't make a difference. And I've watched this. I've seen churches sidelined because of disunity among them, because of fights over where the cross should go in the room, right? Or, or the color of the car. I mean, you can go down the list. Sometimes our arguments are deeper. Sometimes they're not. But this conflict can arise within the church, which puts them on the sideline of the mission, meaning we just got to deal with whatever we're dealing with, and then maybe we can be used by God again. And so that's what we're looking at today. So turn to Philippians chapter 2. And his big idea in what we're looking at today is stick together. Here's how, and here's our example. So that's what we're going to see. I gave away right there. Stick together. Here's how. He gets very practical, and he gives us an example. Now, to get our context, it begins last week in Philippians 1.27. So let me read 1.27 to give us the context because it bleeds over into what he's saying here. In uh, Philippians 1.27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So if you missed last week, I encourage you to go listen to that sermon, that podcast. But right here he says, uh, let your manner of life. And that word is, is one word in the Greek that means be a citizen. It's a very unique word. It's only used twice in all of the New Testament. And it means be a citizen of heaven. And he's speaking to Roman citizens, right? Philippi was a Roman city. So a lot of people there were Roman citizens, which came with great rights and privileges. And so he's, he's sharing this very specifically to them of you think you're Roman citizens and you have all these rights. Set that aside. You're a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of God's kingdom, and that takes priority. So that's kind of the point of right there, and then it bleeds over into chapter 2. So the first one, you are a citizen of heaven, so walk worthy of Jesus Christ and do it in the midst of opposition. The world is going to hate you. They're going to come against you. Don't be afraid, right? This is going to happen. Now he's transitioning. Walk worthy as a citizen of heaven together among each other. So we are citizens of God's kingdom first and second of our earthly nation and society. And so what we also saw in those verses, we are standing firm on the truth, holding forth the word of God, right? So, so the idea there is not just are we standing together, but we're moving, we're striving for the faith. This is the mission, the striving. We want to grow. We want to share it. We want to go together. We're moving. We're not just a destination. Again, the church is a movement. That's why we, we say we're a battleship not a cruise ship. You know, a battleship is going somewhere. It has a mission, and you're going together. And so on this mission, we are going. And in, in what we looked at verse, well, I'll move on a little bit, actually. Um, let me look at verse 28. He says, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that's from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, 
engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So he's encouraging, you're going to have opposition, and God has granted to you two things. Granted, a gift, one to believe. So your salvation, you don't earn it. It's a gift from God. And he's also granted to you suffering. You're welcome. <laughs> right? That's part of the gift, which comes from, we looked before, he gives us certain tests to see, are we sincerely followers of Jesus Christ? Because in the church, among God's people, there will be those who are not. And some who think they are and are not. And one of those tests here is suffering. Can you endure suffering and not abandon the faith? There's two things that false believers rarely do. One is give and two is suffer for Christ. Those are two big tests. So now he's, he's moving with that context in, right? You're moving together, but maintain unity. Look at chapter two, one and on. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So the church cannot make a significant difference if it is not a place to belong. Right? If we're not getting along, we really can't invite anybody else into this. They'll walk through and go, yeah, I, I don't want to be part of that. Or people will hear the rumors of what, yeah, I, I don't really want to be part of that. And here, the Philippian church, this is, in all of the New Testament, probably the best church we see. This is probably Paul's favorite church. They are great, but they do have one problem. Two ladies can't get along. Yodia, we're going to see them later, and Syntyche, they have a problem with getting along. Now, later, we're going to see them. They're both godly women. So, so it's not like they, they're unfaithful. They're godly. They are part of, of the mission with Paul partnering. So they're great, and they just have trouble getting along. And so here, he's addressing that. Now, again, I shared at the beginning, I, I've seen this, right? I, I've seen disunity sideline individuals at times, which is sad, but also entire groups, entire churches can be put on the sideline. And so here, the encouragement is to get along. Now, he starts in verse 1. And he says, so if there is, and then he lists these, these blessings. That word if could be translated since. Basically saying, these are yours in Christ. So that's this list right here. These are because of who God is. He's given the Holy Spirit to his people. These things are there. They're, they're gifts. They're here for you. And what are they? Encouragement, right? Comfort from love. So love, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy. These are blessings that should typify you and me, right? These should be pictures of, of us. We encourage one another. Again, a place to belong. Our whole mission, it begins in. Are you encouraging? Are you comforting? Do we comfort one another? This is why we, we talk about groups all the time so that we can get into these real relationships where we're actually known and we know others. And you might think, well, I don't need that. Well, I would say others might need what you have to offer, right? You might be a great encouragement or a great comforter or whatever it is on this list here. 
You might be able to show affection or, or sympathy. So God gives us everything we need for unity, but here's the other side. We must do our part. Verse 2, he says, now complete my joy. He's saying these exist in you, but now you have to participate in this. Just because Christ offers all these things, we can resist. We can go our own way. He says, complete my joy by applying them. Actually do it. This is where he's moving somewhat individual, right? You, me, do these things. Be of the same mind, the same love. Be together. We saw this last week, that, that same word, be of the same mind. It doesn't mean we all think exactly the same thing. That's not what it means. It does mean we stand firm on the central truths of the gospel, and we hold secondary things with an open hand, right? Uh, when Jesus returns, what's the tribulation going to be like? Secondary issues. We don't need to be divided over that. Is there a millennium? Maybe, maybe not. You, good arguments for, you know, we can hold those things with an open hand. But the central salvation is in Jesus alone. That's closed. That's not up for, well, you can vary on that. No, those things are, are, are central. But we are united in one mind. We're doing this together. And then he gets really specific. He gets very practical. Now, I, I like this. I, I was going to skip over, but verse 2, right? Being in full accord, when I was in high school, uh, one of my good friends was a great artist. And so for the youth group, he, uh, he drew this picture that we wore on T-shirts, and it was a car. It was an accord. And all the kids were in it, like hanging out the window, or, you know, whatever. And it said, all in one accord. <laughs> Cut, right? But it came from, from this verse, and that's kind of a neat little picture, though, like all in one accord, meaning we're together, going the same place together. Some of us are hanging out the way, right? I, I mean, but, but it's going somewhere together. That's what he's talking about, right? We're in the same car. We're not in two different cars going two different directions. We're in one car going together. But again, now he gets specific. What's your part in that? What's your part? Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Selfish ambition. You ever seen that in the church? Conceit. You ever seen that? Right? The person that wants a role or a position. Now, ambition, I've wrestled with this in my own life. Ambition's not bad. Selfish ambition is. Now, you should be, students, you should be ambitious to get great grades, right? In, in your job, you should be ambitious to do a good job, to get promotions. You know, those, those are good things. In the church, ambition can be a good thing too, right? Scripture says it's good for those who desire to be an elder. If you desire to be an elder, you desire a good thing. But there's selfish ambition, right? I want to be seen. I want whatever or there's Christ-centered ambition, and that, that, there's a difference there. So selfish ambition has no place among the church. Or, or conceit, right? Look at me. I'm special, and you should know how special I am. You, you need me, right? You really need, you want to be around me. But here's his point. If your motive for doing or saying anything is to promote or progress yourself, don't do it. Right? And if you're like me, sometimes you're in a conflict, a discussion, whatever, and you're going to say something, and there's, when the Holy Spirit is, when you're abiding well, let's say it that way. When you're abiding well, the Holy Spirit will give you a little, poop. why are you going to say that? Because it's about me. Well, then shut up. <laughs> right? It's, well, I want to defend myself. Conceit. I want myself to be seen a certain way. Well, then don't do it. Right? right? That's the idea here. Selfish ambition. Self-promotion. 
but it doesn't mean you're not self-aware. Romans 12, 3 says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. So we're not talking about false humility. We're talking about viewing ourselves accurately. Are you good at something and you know it? It's okay to admit it. Humbly, right? That's not a selfish ambition. God gives us gifts he wants us to use. And it's okay to say, I am really good at whatever it is. Is there a place for me to do whatever it is, right? That is a good thing to do. Because he says also here in verse uh, 4, right? Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, right? So I shared at the beginning kind of the two things that can derail our mission, Right? One is disunity, the other is apathy. Right here, look, intentionally look for the needs of others. Again, our society, our, we Americans, we're very self-centered. We, we really are. And here he's saying, get your eyes off yourself and actually look at others, meaning we, not this false humility and I'll just stay in my thing, but, but I'm actually going to actively find my gifts, my abilities, and use them for your benefit. Right? So there is some godly ambition in that. I want to see good things in your life. and in your, Like, what does God want to do? Which means we're active, a place to belong. Not just to sit and be, but a place to actively get engaged with the lives of others. Some of you are good at really great things that others aren't, right? Some of you have the gift of administration. You really are a gift from God. I don't have those gifts, right? Groups, people need those gifts, those people that can put things together. So this is in your notes. Get over yourself and leverage your assets for the benefit of others. That's what he's talking about here. One of our values at Common Ground is it's not about me. It's not about me. Again, that's not passive, though. We, again, we don't want to be apathetic or passive. We want to be active, looking out and leveraging. What, what are my assets? Is it money? Is it vehicles? Is it an ability to do something? Is it time, right? Maybe you're retired and you have extra time. That's an asset. Are you leveraging those for the benefit of others? Unity of mind, unity of spirit. I shared this last week, right? When one of us succeeds, the rest of us can enjoy that. When one of us is in pain, the rest of us suffer with it. So you go back to the, the beginning there, right? If there's any encouragement, comfort, how does Jesus, how does God encourage us and comfort us? He does it through the Holy Spirit, absolutely. But most of the time, he does it through another believer. Isn't that true? When you've received encouragement, doesn't it normally come through a person? When you've received affection, doesn't it normally come through a person? So right here, he's saying, take those things and use them among one another. The church is supposed to be the best place to belong. Not the place you don't want to go, the place you want to be because the people there are great. They're going to really listen to me. They're going to really care about me. They're going to show up for me. If I have a need, I know it's going to be met. That's the church. Now we get our example, right? So his main point, right? Unity with humility. Now we're going to get an example. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now this whole section, 
Paul's main point is for believers to maintain unity through their humility. That's the main point. But then he gives us this example. And it's as if he's writing to these people he loves, and he's like, be unified, right? He's writing this, stick together, continue the mission. And then he goes into this super deep explanation of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is one of those super deep intellectual theological truths that we have to stand on. And it's not his main point, which is kind of weird. He kind of just throws it in. And this has been very useful for the church since the beginning of who Jesus is. And so who is Jesus? Well, first, Jesus is our example and motivation toward humility. That's why he shares this. So there's a deep truth that we're going to understand here. But his main point is, first, Jesus is your example. And if he can do it, you can do it because there's a big difference. Because Jesus actually deserves all the glory. <laughs> Jesus it deserves to be the thing when we are conceited, we have selfish ambition, we want something that doesn't belong to us. That does belong to him. He deserves worship. He deserves glory. He deserves praise. He deserves honor. He deserves to be the one lifted up and everybody bowing down. That's who he is. But he stepped away from that. When Jesus took on flesh, he became fully human. There's uh, been heresies throughout history that Jesus was not fully human. He just looked human for a little while. He just looked like it, but he wasn't. The other heresies is that Jesus is not fully God. But here, this passage refutes both of those claims, right? It says he, verse 6, who though he was in the form of God. That word form means exact form. Not, not kind of like, not similar, exactly like. So when he was in the form of God, he chose to take on flesh. He became the form of man. Again, completely. So he was fully man. Now, when Jesus stepped down fr from his glory there, did he stop being God? Ooh, there's a tough question, right? He did not. So what, what does this mean then, right? Not that he stopped being God, but what did he do when it says he emptied himself? Verse 7. This has been a lot of controversy through the history, through 2,000 years. What does it mean that he emptied himself? It means he set aside his glory and his rights as God. He did not cease being God, but he set aside his glory and his rights. So Jesus never ceased being God, but he set aside his right to glory when he took on a human body and gave his life for us. This is the gospel. I love this. This makes my job really, really easy when I have a passage like this. This is the gospel. What's the word gospel mean? Right? We've seen it already. Uh, right? Strive for the faith of the gospel. What's the gospel mean? The word gospel, it's also the root word when we say evangelism. That's the same word, gospel. The word God, it means good news. And in that day, it was used specifically, good news of a coming king. So a, a king, a good king, hopefully, right, is coming to town. They would send somebody on ahead. Hey, I've got great news. The king is coming. And he, right, he's, bringing his, he's bringing all his stuff, whatever. The king is coming. That's the gospel, the good news of a coming king. So for us, the, God, the good news is that the king has come. But part of it, too, is the king is going to come back. And so that's the word gospel or evangel. So why are some churches called evangelical? Right? So you hear there's, there's the Catholic church, there's Protestant, there's evangelical church. Why that other label? Because a lot of churches throughout history have abandoned this truth. They've abandoned the truth that sin separates man from God. Well, let's not talk about sin anymore. Right? Sin, that, that makes people feel bad. So let's not talk about that. 
right? But if you throw out sin, then you throw out that Jesus had to become man and die. So, so let's not talk about that anymore either. But they still claim the name of Protestant, but they're not evangelical because they're not sharing the good news anymore that you're a sinner and God took on flesh for you. That's the good news. And there is no salvation apart from that. So there you go, a little lesson as you read the paper, whatever. That's what's happening out there, right? Evangelical, that's the gospel. And this right here is central to our faith. Jesus, God, took on flesh, did not stop being God, but set aside his glory and his rights to glory for just a little while. And if Jesus could do that, what about you? Oh my goodness, pride is gone. Right? Look at Jesus' life. Just picture that. He was a baby. Right? He grew up with brothers and sisters that didn't like him at times. You actually see that in Scripture. Right? His, his brothers at, at one point were like, hey, you're supposed to be something special. Why don't you go make yourself known at this festival? He's like, no, it's not my time yet. So he had some conflict with his brothers. Now, later they would be converted, at least a couple of them. But can you imagine being Jesus' little brother? Well, G Jesus grew up with it, right? Can't you guys be like Jesus? And that's the message of the church right here. Can't you all be like Jesus? So Jesus grew up in a real family, right? He went through that. He was a construction worker. He was a carpenter, but that word means builder, right? His dad was a builder, his stepdad, and he would have been part of that family. So he was, he was a worker. He got dirty. He got in there. He was a worker. That's humbling. He didn't come as a glorified king. He was he was despised. He was beaten. He was spit on. I mean, go down the list. Finally, he was crucified. He was killed naked. That is humiliating. He was set before everybody as a sinner, as a criminal, and killed for it. Okay, now look in the mirror. I know me. I deserve those things. I don't deserve glory, honor, pride, and neither do you but God does. And that's his whole point in sharing this. Look at Jesus. If he could do it, you can do it. And here's a big part of that, though. A citizen of heaven does not need to demand their rights while on earth. Jesus, he had the right to be God. He was God. He had the right to all that glory. When he was standing there, right, before Pilate, do you remember this? He's like, you know, are, are you the king of the Jews? You, you said it's true. He said, I... In, in all of that, I, I could call down the host of angels from heaven and end this right now, <laughs> but he didn't. He had that right, but he didn't. He had the right to not be beaten, but he didn't, right? And so he set his rights aside, and we, especially as Americans, we love our rights, don't we? I deserve this. I have the right to this. And sometimes we should exercise those, right? I mean, there's a, there's a, a time to do that properly. Guess what? In, in your marriage... In your family, you do have certain rights. I have a right as a husband to certain things. Uh, wife, I have a right to certain things. Here's a great marriage. You set aside your rights for them, right? Both of you do that, my goodness, right? Kids, you set aside your rights just to serve your parents. That's going to be good for you. <laughs> so citizens of, of heaven, again, that's us. That's the context. We set aside our rights for the benefit of others, of those around us. Right? Back to three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's a church I want to be a part of. That's a place to belong. Right? A whole group of people looking, what can I do for you? How can I leverage all these things I have for you? And guess what? Then others outside are going to look and go, these people are legit. These people are real. They're actually 
doing it. And that was the reputation of the very early church. That was one of the main reasons the church spread the way it did was because Christians, like was already shared elsewhere in the world right now, Christians were losing their jobs. Christians were being kicked out of everything in society because of who they, and the rest were coming around and they became a new family. That's who we are. But now, here's some good news, because the gospel doesn't end with Jesus becoming man and dying. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if you've come here very long, you know I'm not one of those shouting pastors. I want to shout that part, <laughs> right? I want to rant and rave and scream about that because he is glorified now. Jesus set aside his rights to glory, but guess what? When he rose from the dead, he took them back. They were given back to him. He rose in a new body, a glorified body. He's still human. So, so he took on his godness completely again. Again, he never stopped being God. He took on his glory, but he's still human forever. But that's our God. He was glorified. He sat at the right hand of the Father, right? Exalted. That's who he is. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth. Do you know this is coming? All creation will bow the knee to Jesus. Everyone. You want to do it now. Right? This doesn't mean everybody will be saved. Some people will take that to go, at the end, everybody will be saved because it says every knee will bow. No. Every knee will bow. Some will be bowing right before judgment. Right? Right before they receive what their sin has earned. If we bow now and we accept his forgiveness and his grace, we bow now, then later we bow, right? Receiving his grace, receiving his forgiveness because of what Jesus did. So we want to bow now, but in the future, every knee will bow. Everybody is going to see Jesus and go, yes, yep, he's God. He, and they'll see the truth of what he did to save us. And they'll see that and go, but I rejected him. They will bow the knee. They will go to judgment. But what's Paul's main point? Maintain unity through humility. But again, not passive. Go back to verse 4, right? Each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What if we could be ambitious for the interests of others, right? That's what we're looking at here, but with humility. So I want to end with this. If Jesus could wash people's feet... I can blank their blank. How would you fill that in? Because Jesus, the night before he went to the cross, again, still God, he took his clothes off, he wrapped a towel around his waist, he washed his disciples' feet. They wore sandals and they walked everywhere. He washed their feet, dried it with the towel, right? Humble. This, this was our God doing this, right? He gets to Peter. Peter's like, hey, you're not washing my feet. I know who you are. He said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part. He's like, all right, then wash all of me. All right, Peter, no. i like, Peter's awesome. <laughs> no, no, if I wash your feet, it, you know, that's enough. But if Jesus could do that, what can we do? And so we have our next steps, and we have some other next steps, but, but we should all do this one, all of us. And this is going to be great conversation for your family later, because where does this start? It does start in our families, right? If we as a church can't get along, we have nothing to offer the rest. But for you, it begins at your home. For me, it begins in my home. 
And so maybe for you, the answer to this is at home. And this will be a great conversation. So my daughters are here, and I want you to, later, we're all going to sit down, and I can't wait to hear what you write. If Jesus could wash people's feet in the family, you could do what? Okay. This is the application. This is Paul's main point, right? Jesus is the example. And again, this is not workspace. This isn't, all oh, we are telling us stuff to do. This is all an overflow of who Jesus is and what he's given us. That's what it comes from. Again, if we claim the truths of Jesus, but we don't have unity, we can't get along, we look like liars. More than that, we are liars. And so, again, we can humbly even confess and admit where we've done it wrong and move forward now. In the church, this is what's beautiful. The uniqueness of the church has always been unity among diversity. Right? You read the book of James. We don't have rich and poor slave and free back then there were slave you know we don't have this men and women all these distinctions of value that all of those are gone right we are all united one no status so what are our next steps if you're doing the next steps and we hope that you are here's the two in there one do a lowly task for someone this week do a lowly task you know i've met christians who in their humility refuse to do lowly tasks for others and most of the time, they're actually pastors, right? I'm too good to do whatever. No. What's a lowly task you can do? And then two, identify a relationship you need to reconcile. And what would it take? Now do it. And again, even with that, I would encourage sharing that with somebody. Because the key to being a Christian, one of those key examples to the rest of the world is our unity. Is there somebody you need to reconcile with? And again, you can't control the other person, but, but what's your part? What do you need to do? And then finally, maybe you're here and you're hearing the stuff about Jesus and you go, you know what? I have never really believed that and bowed the knee, right? Every knee will bow. It's time to do it now. If you've never bowed the knee, confess, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross, rose from the dead, and I want you to be Lord of my life. Today's the day to do that. That is your next step if you've never done that. Because then you will be brought into this abundant life that we talk about. That's where it begins. It's a gift. That life is a gift from God to you. And our part our, our, is only to bow the knee to him. Right? Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Maybe that's what you need to do today. And as we start this next song, I'm going to be in the back. I would love to talk with you. I would love to pray with you. And for the rest of us, again, look at these next steps. We're going to take communion. So as we start this next song... I encourage you, bow your head, you know, pray. This is our time to respond, and we're not going to tell you exactly how to do it. You might need to stay there praying the whole time. You might need to go reconcile with somebody right now. You might have a prayer request. We have our prayer walls there and there. Write your prayer request and stick it in the wall. And when you're ready, right, when you have confessed whatever sin you need to confess to God, you've asked him to examine your heart, when you're ready, come take the Lord's Supper. Again, we have three stations here, here, and, and in the back. Gluten-free is back there if you need that. But we take that remembering right here what we read about, Jesus' death and his resurrection. We take it in gratefulness, knowing we are forgiven because of him. That's what we're doing. When we take that bread, Jesus, I remember your body and thank you. And part of that is a submission. God, I, I'm submitting to you as Lord. We take the cup, remembering his body broken, that's the bread, remembering his blood spilled for us, and that we are saved only through that. And so there's a looking back, there's a looking right now at our hearts, how are we, and there's a looking forward, 
Scripture says we will do this until he comes again. And so we're looking forward, hoping, anxiously waiting for him to come back because he is coming back. And when he does, he'll set all things right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what an example you are. You are the one who deserves glory. But yet we often are grasping after our own glory. You are the one that deserves praise, and we love praise of ourselves. Jesus, I ask you right now, grab our hearts. Help us to recognize who you are. God, in all these things that you would have us do among one another, with each other, it begins with us looking at you. And all of that is just an overflow of who you are and what you've done for us. We submit to you. I submit to you. I love you. I don't deserve salvation, but you gave it. I deserve the death you went through. I deserve eternal damnation, but I don't get that because, Jesus, you were willing to step off your throne for a little while to suffer for us. We love you. God, we want to be that place. We want to be the place to belong. Draw many people here and help us to be faithful to you and walk worthy as your citizens. God, and, and share that life with others. In your name, amen.